0: It's good to be with you all again. All right, I'm, I'm here by myself. Um, thank you. We are still going through our series in First Timothy um, for our visitors. This is a series that we have been in for maybe six weeks now. And the reason why we are going through 1 Timothy is to give our church um, some context about its leaders and how, I'm sorry, and how its leaders ought to operate in their own life and, and how they ought to operate and lead the church. But then we also see in the book of Timothy um, some, some exhortations, some, some commands that Paul gives us for how... We, as a body, as a people, ought to operate with each other. And so as we come to 1 Timothy chapter 5 near the end, um, this is a word specifically about the pastor. I'm going to read our text, then I will pray for us, and then we'll begin. 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting... In verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not omit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two Or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others keep yourself pure no longer drink only water but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment but the sins of others appear later so also good works are conspicuous and even those that are not cannot remain hidden the word of the lord I want to tag this text the two-faced pastor the two-faced pastor let's pray our Heavenly Father we thank you for your goodness and mercy we just ask now for your spirit to stir the hearts of your people Lord as I come to this own text I feel a bit of uh, caution and feeling of being unqualified to preach such a passage so I'm asking for special grace in this moment that you would give me preaching power that you would help me to speak the truth and nothing but the truth to that end we pray amen heavy is the head that bears the crown That is often the emotional and mental refrain of potentates, kings, presidents, CEOs, or any other type of leader. History has shown itself to be true when telling the endless stories of those great men and women who wrestle with the triumph and despair of leadership. This was surely the case of Winston Churchill, the late renowned war general and prime minister of Great Britain His finest hour came during London's darkest hour. He was tasked with leading the free world against the geopolitical superpower of Nazi Germany. Historians and anthropologists alike have deemed Churchill as one of the greatest leaders of the 20th century. One could even make the claim that he is the epitome of leadership, valor, courage, and swagger. That old English giant prevailed against all odds. He galvanized an entire country and fought Germany head on with the weapons of persuasion. Churchill was a man full of words, words that captivated hearts, encouraged the hopeless, and kept London afloat during the most vicious and historic air raids of any war. On the outside, Winston Churchill possessed what many so desperately desire: Greatness, popularity, and reverence. Oh, but on the inside, there bears a different story. Here was a man battling a second and arguably even greater enemy, one vastly more cunning than any of his past human opponents, loneliness. It was this enemy that would eventually lead him into depression. It is now well documented how powerful a role Churchill's mental health played in his life. He himself named this depression titled the Black Dog. In fact, it was so pervasive that he could not even stand near balconies or church platforms. Here's a quote. I don't like standing near the edge of a platform when an express train is passing through. I like to stand back and, if possible, get a pillar between me and the train. I don't like to stand by the side of a ship and look down into the water. A second's action would end everything, a few drops of desperation. Oftentimes, Churchill would spend hours in his bed. He would lose his appetite. He would lose his energy all while trying to fight the greatest enemy of the 20th century. Heavy is the head that bears the crown. What Winston Churchill experienced throughout his life is not an anomaly. In fact, it is very common that leaders of people typically live in this very same similar reality. The expectations, the pressures, the insecurities, and the opinions of those who are being led weigh on one's persons and conscious like a wet sweater The alleged and supposed greatness among us, or excuse me, the greatest among us, are oftentimes the most neglected, the most lonely, and the most used people among us. And if there's any vocation that experienced this the most, it is that of the pastor. That is where we find ourselves in chapter 5 of Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul has covered much ground. He's talked about the church's elders, its deacons, and you, its members. But this time, the pastor preacher is taking center stage. And I want to preach from this thought, a pastor's public ministry will either stand or fall based upon their own private ministry behind closed doors. In other words, what happens in the dark Will make its way to light. Paul begins his argument in verse 17 through 19 by giving a strong recommendation to the churches on how they ought to deal with pastors who labor in the preaching and teaching of God's word. Paul writes Consider them worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. This is music to any pastor's ear. Paul is saying, you got to pay your pastor well. Pastor Lee, I see you here. That's a good word, ain't it? Too bad Marshall isn't here to hear this. This is often the verse that is preached when it's Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And those offering buckets get a little heavier on that day. And outside of Resurrection Sunday, this is probably the only Sunday that pastors actually want to come to work. I kid, no no laugh. so it wasn't funny. It didn't catch you. The idea that Paul is getting at here is one of deep concern for those who preach the word of God week in and week out. Your English word labor in verse 17 is the same Greek word that we find in Luke chapter five, verse five. Luke's own eyewitness account of history reminds us of the interaction between Simon and Jesus. While Simon is out trying to catch some fish, he had been laboring and toiling all night and had caught nothing, not one fish did Simon catch. Here comes Jesus unto the scene, and he tells Simon to throw his net in the deep. Now I know Simon in his head is thinking, what did Bruh say to me? I have been out here all day and all night, and nothing has happened. And you're going to tell me to throw my net back out. But that's not what Simon says, of course. Simon responds and says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And Simon catches more than he can handle. When God speaks, something happens. I'll try it again. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When Jesus spoke, something happened to Simon. Help me out, prophet Jeremiah, come to center stage. Witness for me, please, because I have none in the room. His nickname was the weeping prophet because he had a deep concern for the people of God who were rebellious and were headed towards destruction and captivity. By the hands of those great Assyrians, it was this people that Jeremiah was tasked with to labor and toil and preaching and teaching for 40 long years, day after day. Week after week, year after year, Jeremiah remained faithful. And the Bible says that this brother saw no fruit from his labor. Imagine that. You worked a job for 40 years and saw nothing from your hands. Oh, yeah, this brother preached the word to a spiritually dead folk. Oh, but it was that very word he brought to his people that kept this brother going. It was the word that he could not keep out of his mouth. It was a word that he could not hold in. It was a word that was burning fire shut up in his bones. It was a word that he never saw fulfilled, but he knew it to be true in his soul. Friends, that word is Christ crucified. I'm here to tell you that this is the word that preaches labor and toil in. This is the message we herald, nothing less and nothing more. Jesus is the word God has put in my mouth, and that's all I know to say. It doesn't matter what the outcome of our labor looks like. It doesn't matter if no one is listening. The call to be a preacher and teacher is not to preach and teach what you want to say or what I want to say, but the call is to preach and teach what God wants to say. And when God speaks, something will happen. Pastors who rule well are pastors who not only display a deep concern for his people, but they hold up God's word in a high regard. This is not an easy endeavor. It is no coincidence that Paul uses the word labor to describe the life of the one that preaches and teaches as a vocation. Every Sunday, the pastor brings with him to the pulpit the burdens and concerns and painful stories of his own congregation. He preaches to a people who have told him their darkest secrets and their most shameful moments. He also brings with him his own insecurities, his own sinfulness, and his own family tensions. The pastor is holding in one hand the brokenness of his church, while in the other the brokenness of his own life and both need to hear the same thing good news oh yeah you may not preach you may not teach but what the pastor has in common with you is being human and if human then a sinner and there is only one thing that that can cure that problem it's the blood of jesus christ yes it is your bout with sin cannot be conquered through sex your desire for a spouse, your substance abuse. You cannot wash the stain of sin with more money and higher education and efficiency in your profession. You cannot remove your insecurities by way of a bigger house, more children, or a better image. There is nothing in the world that can make you whole again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm here to tell you the pastor needs to believe the gospel just as much as you need to believe the gospel in your life. That's what happened to this preacher in the 1800s. What ye think of Christ. That was the title of his sermon by a man named Parson. It was the gospel that he was tasked with preaching every week to his church. But on this particular Sunday, he didn't know he would be preaching to himself. As he preached Jesus in Matthew 22, he began to notice something that he didn't notice before. He noticed something that the Pharisees couldn't see. He thought to himself, you're no better than the Pharisees yourself. You do not believe that he is the son of God, that he has come to save you any more than they did. Lord, help me. It was that moment when the preacher was saved by his own sermon. A local pastor was there that morning and noticed what had happened. and stood up and yelled, the parson is converted. The parson is converted. Hallelujah. The preacher would say that if he had died last week, then he would have been lost forever. Friends, I am here to tell you if, a, if Jesus can save a preacher in his own pulpit, he can save you from anywhere. That's the word. That's the word that preachers preach week in and week out. A salvation that is granted to those who believe. Paul goes on. He lays out how churches ought to protect themselves and their pastor. This is a kind of mutual accountability. He says in verses 19 to 21 that members of the church need to be diligent. And fair when holding leaders accountable. When we read our Old Testament reading that was the connection that Paul was hearkening back to Deuteronomy. There were laws in place not that it would be oppressive to God's people but that it would enable them to, to treat each other right and with hospitality and justice. And there in Deuteronomy, the text says that if you bring a false charge to a neighbor or to a brother, then you ought to be dealt with accordingly. That's a hard word. There is a weightiness to Paul's words here, though, in 1 Timothy 5. On the one hand, he is saying be careful to accuse someone of something, especially your pastor, based on gossip or jealousy or hate. These are the very things that will spoil and disrupt a body, a church. Gossip and slander create division. They create cliques and hostility amongst the family of God. And I believe what Paul is getting at here is that when a community is operating according to the gospel, then how you deal with each other's sin, including your pastor, ought to be from a place of empathy. In grace, and justice, how we treat people matter, and how we treat our pastor matters. In other words, when folk mess up, that doesn't mean you get to throw them away. But it does mean you need to be a people who isn't afraid of getting your hands dirty and the messiness of life and be willing to help each other grow in their walk with God. I think we tend to forget, myself included, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm so glad Jesus didn't throw me away, but he had me there on that cross. In this place, we build one another up, not tear down. We encourage one another, not shame each other. We edify one another, not humiliate them. What a pastor needs from his church is a people committed to the ethics of Jesus, not the ethics of this world. See, the world cannot offer you grace. It will not show you mercy. It is not full of justice. In the world, it's three strikes and you're out. But in the kingdom, oh, but in the kingdom, There is always grace in the kingdom. You will find mercy in the kingdom. There is justice in the kingdom. There is a king who bears a crown that is heavy, but it's heavy from your mistakes and my mistakes, heavy from your blunders and my blunders, heavy from your sin and my sin. And this king is the only one who has ever worn his crown perfectly. This king takes your imperfections so you wouldn't have to be perfect. This king fights for you when you ain't got no fight left. King Jesus is his name and he is the one we will all have to answer to and rest assured, he surely will be right. Yes, the pastor is responsible for his people, but you the people are responsible for him too. Paul wants to con- for us to consider the question not what can i not what can my pastor do for me but what can i do for him what a timely fashion it is to be thinking about our own pastor in a very crucial time in his life and his for his family when the church is rightly holding each other accountable it would know how to rightly hold their pastor accountable Verse 20 teaches us that when pastors display unrepented hearts, then it is the church's responsibility to correct him for the sake of the purity of the church. You've seen this episode before. The church across town covers up an abuse scandal or a marital affair or an addiction from their pastor rumors run rampant folks start picking sides. the church splits and church hurts scars families and kids now folk walk away from the church in its entirety because they can't believe in a god who has followers that act like that and in the age of social media and the internet stories like this have become normalized boy am i preaching to myself The unbeliever and the skeptic almost expect this of those who call themselves Christian. And it is stories like this which hurt the witness of the local church. Friends, this calls for hard and difficult things. Things that make my own stomach hurt as I think about the implications of God's word. Sometimes... The best form of discipleship for a community is when the pastor is honest about his sin and repents publicly. I know sometimes that's not what we want to hear, but this is what God tells us. I think this demonstrates to you and to the world when a pastor does this, that churches and pastors do not have it all together. And when the pastor is the chief repenter among his people, you begin to operate the same way. Church is messy. Yes, it is. It is a place of both beauty and ugliness. But let us be reminded that when, he, that when human beings are involved, there will always be triumph and tragedy. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be all up in our pastor's business 24-7. But I am saying We all do need to be praying for our pastors. Hope needs to be praying for the Wilmhoffs, the Carlsons, our elders, and me and my family, the McLeans. Praying that when no one is looking, we are cultivating a deep, personal, and intimate relationship with Jesus. Because that's all we have to stand on. Oh, but not just us, you too. What are you doing when no one is looking? That is the picture of Paul's conclusion in chapter 5, that what you sow in private will make its way into public. And friends, this text is clear to me that whether you are a pastor or a member or a visitor, life is not meant for you to bear it alone. Jesus is calling you and I to live in the light, especially when darkness is around. The word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Seek Jesus, church. Seek Jesus. Let's pray. Father, your word really really does cut through bone and marrow. It does prick and stick us in places that we don't want it to prick and stick us. But what is true of it is that you have promised to walk with us in the ups and the downs. Lord, I pray that we would do just that. That we would rely on your power and not ours. And that you would comfort us and correct us and affirm us when we need it. Would your word fall on fresh soil? Amen.